like a locomotive, sipping, drinking Arizona. Mixtape just around the corner, did a lot in California. Can't wait to drop this on you. Yeah, they gon' have fun with that. Smash like Songum, and my songs gon' break through like. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. It is Friday, January 19th, 2024. My name is Mark Daly. And here we are on the cusp of another weekend. Where did the uh, where did the last seven days go? I don't know where what it's like where you are, but over the past uh, week here, we have had a real dose of winter on the west coast of Canada here in Vancouver. Winter was about a month late in arriving. Christmas came and went. That whole winter period, which we associate with snowmen and snow and cold and all that sort of stuff was very, very fall-like, and all of a sudden, about a week ago, it got cold very, very quick. I was sitting here in the studio, started to chill off a little bit. We had a little bit of snow in the afternoon on the way home, and then when I finished recording the podcast last Thursday, it had dropped down to minus 19 with the Celsius, that is, or zero degrees Fahrenheit with the the wind chill and everything, and it's been like that for the past uh, several days, and then starting Tuesday night, very late, uh, almost into the early hours of Wednesday morning, it started to snow here in the suburbs of Vancouver. And before I knew it, by the time it was all done, 18 inches or 50 centimeters of snow later, we dug ourselves out and schools and everything closed for two days. Kind of crazy, but it sounds like uh, today is going to be a more normal day just in time for the weekend. Why not just make it a five-day weekend and everyone would be happier, but hey, I'm not the one in charge. <laughs> so whatever, let's just make the best of it anyways. All right. Well, here we go. Just uh, looking at things here. We are now 44 days away from the very first Grand Prix of the 2024 Formula One World Championship, which is set to take place at Bahrain on the 29th of February for practice one. And then, well, 44 days uh, from today will be uh, March 2nd, and that will be the Grand Prix itself. And that will kick off a whole bunch of races that are going to come pretty quick, hopefully. Uh, we're going to have uh, we're gonna have the Bahrain, then we're going to go up to Saudi Arabia, Australia on the 24th of March. Then we go to uh, Japan in April. That's going to be weird to have Japan at the front of the schedule, then to China. And then we're going to head off to Miami at the beginning of May for the first half dozen races of the season. And I'm really looking forward to that. And before that, only a month away now from uh, winter testing, which will also be on ba- in Bahrain. That will take place on February 21st to 23rd. So uh, season is going to come really, really quick, everyone, and that's uh, very exciting stuff. Also, just a little bit of uh, an update here. Uh, Just uh, looking back, the release dates have now been pretty well populated, almost, sort of, not really. (laughs) Still a couple of teams, including Ferrari, Red Bull, LP, and Alpha Tauri, have not uh, confirmed uh, a date, or well, they've uh, confirmed uh, dates, but not uh, locations. Uh, Ferrari and Red Bull will launch uh, respectively on the 13th and 15th of February. Location that's to be confirmed, Alpine will be February 7th. That will also be confirmed, and uh, Alpha Tauri, pardon me, out of that group of four, have not committed to anything. So the teams we know so far on the February or 5th of February, pardon me. We'll see uh, launches from uh, Williams and Kick Sauber. Williams is set to do that in New York. Uh, Sauber will do theirs in London. Aston Martin set to launch on February 12th at Silverstone. Mercedes will launch on, well, McLaren and Mercedes are both going to have their launches at Silverstone on February 14th on uh, Valentine's Day. And Haas will have their launch at Silverstone on February 
11th. So guys, it's happening. It's going to come uh, pretty quick and uh, very exciting. I haven't heard anything about uh, the next uh, season of Drive to Survive. I haven't really looked into it, to be quite honest. I, I watched uh, the latest drop or the most recent drop uh, last year before the season started. Honestly, I haven't looked into it uh, ever since. Hey, if it comes great, if not, if that uh, is now a thing that used to be a thing and is no longer a thing, then hey, it was good while it lasted. And if it comes, then at least we got something to get us uh, excited or more excited for the season to start. Anyways, before we get started tonight, just want to give a quick shout out to the Race Weekend magazine. Head on over to theraceweekend.com. That's R-A-C-E-W-K-N-D.com. Enter in our promo code ScuderiaPod at checkout to receive a 10% discount. And also check out all the amazing things over at RacingExclusives.com. One of a kind, very unique Formula One merch. Uh, You can uh, check them out, like I said, at RacingExclusives.com. And everything comes with a certificate of authenticity. And finally, last and certainly but not least, a big shout out to JT the Human, the amazing artist that is uh, the voice and the talent behind that incredible opening track to this podcast. All right, let's jump into the news itself. There's uh, a lot going on, but uh, first of all, this was kind of a, I don't know, not even a really a clickbaity thing. Maybe it was. It was just something that just sort of popped up in my feed today. And uh, Gunther Steiner, the uh, the former team principal at Haas, still seems a little bit funny to say that uh, Top Gunther actually isn't a team principal at uh, at Haas anymore. I wonder if he's going to end up in TV or somewhere like like that or another job in Formula 1. Another discussion for another day, but certainly uh, has become a bit of a cult figure over the last couple of years. Anyways, he uh, revealed his uh, dream Formula 1 driver pairing and uh, Gunther had the following to say, quote, I would pick Max Verstappen and Nicky Lauda. In his time, Lauda was the man which, even if he was not the fastest, he could bring the results, end quote. There you go. Well, I think that... Uh, that's an interesting kind of one. Anyways, I'm just going to leave that one there because I'm not really quite sure how to get my mind around it, but a little bit of a, a funny one to get the show started off uh, this week. All right, well, just talking about Haas, uh, Yauka Kamatsu, the new uh, team principal, was speaking recently at an event at uh, Haas's F1 uh, factory in Banbury, United Kingdom. And he had, uh, well, he was just uh, talking about uh, what he's there, why he's there, and he's in Gunther's uh, role. And uh, he basically said he's not there to replace uh, Gunther Steiner's uh, character, as he said. Anyways, he said, quote, I'm not trying to be Gunther Steiner. He's a very different person. Gene Haas knows that. And if Gene wanted Gunther Steiner, so a replacement in that way, he would have appointed somebody else. I'm focused on improvement, obviously. I'd like to think that I'm correct enough, and I'd like to say I'm polite enough. I'm reasonably direct i think and then transparency honestly i don't do politics i believe that if you've got the right intention if your motivation is clear to the get the best out of our team then i think it will get through to people and then really empower people and bring them together i understand that gene wanted something different so i'll try to be the best version of myself rather than trying to be somebody else i'm not here to replace gunther steiner's character he's a very different character and as you know he's got a very different strengths and weaknesses to me so i'm not trying to be anybody else end quote absolutely i mean uh, komatsu is 100 percent correct he's just got to go in there do the job that he needs to do and he's got a really really big job ahead of him has has uh, been a team that has you know, consistently uh, underperformed uh, over the years. If you look at uh, the, uh, the the 2023 World Championship, not a great year for Hap. Finished dead last in the Constructors' uh, Championship with only 12 points. Their drivers, uh, Kevin Magnussen, finished 19th in the championship. Nico Hulkenberg, after coming back from a, uh, a sabbatical, was, uh, was 16th. You know, they... Well, 
<laughs> what else do we really need to say? They just did not have a, a good year at uh, at all, and it's going to be very, very disappointing for themselves because I thought that you know after the last uh, several years, you know, you had the, the pairing of uh, Nikita Mazepin and Mick Schumacher, and obviously that was a bit of a a failed experiment there. Mick has, you know, showed some promise every now and again, but maybe was kind of thrown in to forming the one at the wrong place at the wrong time. Now he's over as a reserve driver for Mercedes, and maybe he'll develop there. Maybe that uh, that opportunity will get come again. But anyhow, they, they go back to a more tried and trusted uh, pairing. Uh, you know, Kevin Magnussen has been there before. Nico Hulkenberg has been around in Formula One uh, for a while, even though he hasn't been in the seat of the car uh, or in the driver's seat of a car for for a couple of years. Kind of filled in here and there during COVID. Anyway, so they're, they're two drivers that kind of know their way around Formula One. And I mean, I'm just looking at Hulkenberg's statistics here, a 15th, a 12th, a 7th, you know, just a, a couple of DNFs here and there. I mean, the, the 7th was like the, the, the best that Hulkenberg uh, did all season. Kevin Magnussen made it into the the, the the points three times. P10 was as good as it got. And then when you when you look at it, I mean, <laughs> at the end of the year, 12 points in the Constructors uh, Championship behind Alfa Romeo, which was not a great uh, year for them. I mean, they're transitioning, right? Uh, Alfa Romeo or Kick Sauber as they are now. They're they're looking down the road to 26 when they become the the, the Audi Works team. Alpha Tauri 25 points, and then ahead of them, Williams with 28. Which hey, don't uh, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to wa- knock Williams because that is actually light years ahead of where they've been. But point is that Haas has kind of been uh, sinking back uh, through the uh, through the order over the last uh, couple of years, and I guess now that the, there's a little bit of time and space behind it. Sure, Gunther didn't get uh, fired, but he didn't get his contract renewed or get a new deal offered to him once his current one had to, you know had expired. And looking at the way that the team had gone, and I'm not going to take anything away from Gunther. I think that uh, he was basically you know fighting with one hand uh, behind his back. We've seen some of the clips uh, of him, and I know that uh, Drive to Survive is a, a little bit uh, sensationalist, and they're going to you know put the stuff in there that uh, makes a little bit more more. Uh, Makes more of an impression, I guess, is the way that I'm trying to say it. And, you know, Gunther a couple of years ago trying to drum up support and get sponsors and things like that. You know, it just kind of is a bit of a funny look for the team that uh, that's the sort of thing that goes into the Haas, uh, you know, the, the Haas stuff for, for Drive to Survive That and stuff about Gunther rather than, you know, more of the stuff happening on the track and, and maybe good uh, racing stories. There there have been a few. There have been, you know, a number over the years, but over time those it's become a lot leaner those those moments have been a lot fewer and a lot uh, further between and sometimes you know like that big fiery crash that uh roma grosjean had in bahrain a couple of years ago made the headlines for the for the wrong reason but you know having said that i mean gunther obviously became a, a cult figure because of a drive to survive i mean his personality obviously must have been uh you know well known to those that he worked with and uh you know in the formula One paddock for, for years and where is his future now? You know, you have to wonder, would he be someone that, uh, you know, slots into the media and you know, that'd be a lot less pressure than Formula One? Does he want another job as a team principal or some other job in motorsport? I think that's only something that uh, that Gunther Steiner can uh, can answer for for any one of us. All right. So uh, just uh, sticking with Haas before we move on to other things, um, you know, uh, uh, Komatsu also uh, mentioned uh, in uh, when he was speaking to the media earlier this week that they have a, a double uh, shakedown plan for the offseason. Uh, the quote is as follows, quote, on 11 February, we have a Silverstone shakedown. And then two days before the official test starts, we have another shakedown in Bahrain. 
Then we go into official testing. The 24 car is a clear step, but whether it's good enough against the competition to start off with, I don't believe so because we started so late. We changed the concept so late, and by then actually doing the Austin update, we diverted our resources a little bit. So I'm realistic about the car we put out in Bahrain, but not in a negative manner, end quote. Not going to be easy. <laughs> Again, uh, I, I talked about it last week or the week before that uh, that we've seen team principals uh, take over during the off season, uh, as as we saw last year and in many years in the past, and it's very difficult to, for for new new team principal to come in, especially when the development of a new car. By the time you get in there, like in December, January, development of the new car has started. You know a lot uh, a lot earlier that you know, but towards the end of the previous season, the different for, for Komatsu is he's an internal hire. So it's not like he's coming in completely from the outside, very much like Fred Vasseur did when he moved from Sauber or Alfa Romeo over to Ferrari last year after the departure of Matteo Bonato. That's completely different. You get to somebody completely new to the surroundings. You're learning everything. So at least uh, Komatsu has that uh, going for him. But still, you know, there, there's difference uh, between the person at the top being the boss rather than being someone else, you know, in the, in the hierarchy, in the structure, doing your job. Now you're responsible for everything. So a lot of the program still will have Gunther Steiner's influence all over it. And it's going to take a while for Komatsu to really imprint his own desires, his own intentions, and implement his own program. Uh, and, and root forward for Haas, and that uh, is not going to be evident right away. It's interesting that he feels like the cars uh, improved from last year, despite some of the, you know, some of the, I wouldn't say ne- negative things, but uh, some of the challenges faced you know, starting so late and changing the design concept. Uh, but even having said that, he still feels like the car is a move forward. But as as uh, Komatsu so rightly said. Yeah, we've moved forward, but how does our step forward compare to the other nine teams, especially when you compare them against the Alpha Tauris, the uh, the other teams? Uh, where, where do I have my list here now for the uh, the, the constructors? So the Alpha Tauris, the, the, the Alpha Romeos, the Williams, uh, maybe not so much Alpine because uh, they were much, much further ahead. I mean, they were sixth in the, uh, the, the championship last year with 120 points. But anyways, uh, how does Haas compare to Kick Sauber, Alpha Tauri, Williams? Those are going to be the direct uh, measuring sticks unless they have some sort of McLaren-esque resurgence or maybe it would be an improvement because I don't know where they ever really, well, they never were really were where McLaren historically was, but even so, they're going to be looking at least against uh, those other three teams in terms of uh, improvement. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, before we go into a break, just uh, want to talk uh, very uh, quickly about the Singapore Grand Prix. There were some uh, headlines coming out of that part of the, uh, the, the world earlier this week. Uh, apparently the Grand Prix there is not under threat. And that's, uh, what caught my eye immediately. There is a a corruption, a corruption probe there that does result in the resignation of a government minister who's now facing a whole bunch of charges. Uh, A couple of days ago this uh, week, there was a statement uh, released by the Singapore Ministry of Trade and Industry, which says, quote, uh, the terms of all agreements, agreements, pardon me, were considered carefully by the government. There was an independent consultancy study there's nothing to suggest now that either the F1 contracts or other contracts were structured to the disadvantage of the government. All preparations for the F1 Singapore Grand Prix in 2024, which is scheduled for the 20th to 22nd of September 2024, are on track. The F1 Singapore Grand Prix has also raised Singapore's reputation as a vibrant global Asia node. Beyond the tourism sector, the race has also benefited many Singapore companies that are also involved in different aspects of the race, i.e., 
in logistics, transports, construction, and engineering ser- uh, services, end quote. So this statement comes in the wake of the resignation of uh, former transport minister S. Iswaran and uh, the that relating to 27 charges relating to deals with On Beng Seng, who owns not only the rights to the Singapore Grand Prix, but also to the promoting uh, company. And uh, the charges uh, come from alleged, and let's be clear here, alleged kickbacks that Iswaran received from Ben Seng, as well as flights pardon me, in his private airplane and tickets to the uh, Singapore Grand Prix. So, you know, there's some things going on there, but 27, that's a lot of charges. So I know this is alleged, but, uh, you know, as we always say, where there's smoke, there's fire. So let's see how that one plays out. But uh, fortunately, it sounds that uh, that, that uh, Grand Prix is going to go on. And uh, it's very uh, interesting. That's, I remember listening to a quote from Bernie Ecclestone a long, long time ago. This must be eight, 10 years ago. That uh, he was talking about, um, you know, the, the the Singapore Grand Prix and how much he loved it, how much F one loved it, and how he felt that uh, that uh, Singapore would be on the uh, on the F one calendar forever was uh, the the words that uh, he used. He, I, I must admit, over time, that this race has really kind of grown on me. And uh, I think I've mentioned it before over the years that you know I, I'm a lifelong Formula One fan. I'm middle aged now. You know, so <laughs> I don't want to say like how middle aged because I don't want to give that away on the podcast. Uh, anyhow, I mean, I'm let's, let's just say that I've been around long enough to remember when night races, you know, became a thing in formula one. And at first I didn't really like it. I thought it was a little bit gimmicky, but, uh, as soon as I started watching the, the, the night races, when they came in, was it 10, 15 years ago, whatever it might be now, I completely changed my, my, my stance 180 degrees, uh, pretty quickly. And Singapore, once it came on the calendar, became uh, one of my favorites. I mean, it is a really long race to watch when you sit down here, especially in the early hours of a Sunday morning or first thing Sunday morning, uh, you know, at breakfast time, if you decide to watch it, uh, you know, uh, on delay or maybe not on delay, that's probably not a thing anymore. But uh, if you watch a recording of it afterwards, a replay it's it's a long race <laughs> i mean regardless if there's uh, anything like a safety car or bad weather which uh, we we've seen plenty of over the years you know it's it's always a grind i mean uh, and uh, it's just a long race not just for the drivers who obviously uh, go through uh, you know quite a lot of physical exertion uh, to get through that race but uh, it's a long one to watch but having said that i've really enjoyed this uh, race and uh, even this year i thought that the the track was much improved there were some changes uh, towards the end of the lap uh, before they came back into uh, the, the the pit entrance into the start finish straight uh, with some construction around there. I thought it actually improved the the the, the spectacle and improved the racetrack. And uh, like I say, glad to see that it's going to remain on the calendar at least for the time being. Anyhow, time for a quick break. Going to come back and talk a lot about uh, Mercedes. Lots of news uh, coming out of uh, Mercedes this week. Going to talk about that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back after a quick message from our sponsors. All right, welcome back to the podcast. And now the first of a, a number of stories we're going to talk about over the next uh, little bit here, uh, referring or relating, pardon me, to uh, Mercedes. First of all, uh, team principal Total Wolf has uh, committed to a, a new three-year contract uh, with uh, Mercedes-AMG Patronus. And uh, this comes after a meeting with fellow shareholders, and that is uh, Ineos uh, owner Jim Ratcliffe and Mercedes-Benz CEO Ola Kalanius. 
And uh, Toto said uh, afterwards, quote, I think the most important thing uh, between the three of us is that we trust each other. At the end of the day, as a shareholder myself, I want the best return on investment. And the best return on investment is winning. I'm not going to try to hang on to a position that I think somebody is going to do better than me. I make sure that I have uh, people around who can tell me otherwise. In the end, the three of us decided, let's do it again. I've never had a performance clause. You either trust each other or you don't. And we are aligned as shareholders. I'm part of this team in various functions. I'm a cool shareholder. I'm on the board. Uh, These are things which will not change whatever executive or non-executive role I have. But I feel good. The risk for me is always born out rather than uh, burnout. And that's why I embrace the challenges we have today, even though they are sometimes very, very difficult to manage, end quote. Well, I think if you're a Mercedes fan, I think you're obviously going to be very excited to hear that uh, that Toto's re-upped at least for another three years. And let's uh, let, let's face it, Toto uh, is not just somebody that's uh, contributed a little bit to, to this team. He's been one of the probably the most uh, you know effective driving factor behind this team that not only made them uh, a race winning contender but the, uh, the 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 monster the 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 team that everybody wants to beat i mean that they've had obviously a couple of off seasons probably even going into to, to 2021 maybe that wasn't so much an off season but at least to to the point where the car wasn't as dominant as it was before red bull had made a lot of strides and then the last two years in 22 and 23 obviously not as good as uh, as red bull and uh, that that's been I, th- I think very disappointing i think that in the way that the 2021 season had ended, that uh, everybody wanted to see a rematch uh, between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen in 2022. And unfortunately, it didn't happen, right? <laughs> Max uh, wins the championship in 21. In 22, Red Bull still miles ahead of everyone. In 23, that gap seemed to at least initially increase, and they've been uh, so dominant. And it's so funny, right? Because when Mercedes really became the dominant team going back a decade in 2020, or sorry, 2014, when the the new V6 Turbo Hybrid Aero kicked off, they were clearly miles ahead, or not miles ahead, but definitely be- better than Red Bull, who were the dominant uh, team going before that. Uh, you know, what with uh, Sebastian Vettel winning his four uh, world championships uh, with Red Bull before the start of the, uh, or the end of the, uh, the, the normally aspirated uh, Formula One era. Coming to the new era, it's it's all Mercedes, right? Starting in 2014, 15, 16, 17, et cetera, all the way up to that. Uh, you want to call it a bridging year? I guess we can call it a bridging year when, when Red Bull had finally got everything together and going into 21, Honda had been saying all the things correctly that hey we're, we're going to be pulling out of formula one but uh, we're, we're going to double down we're going to make sure that we deliver the best power unit to red bull so they can they can mount a serious title challenge and let's let's face it i mean it's and i know this is like going over and rehashing that unfortunate end to 2021 because it'd been an epic battle between lewis and max all season long and I'm, we we can debate, we can discuss, we can analyze the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix and the way that uh, that that turned out. I, that'll be an evergreen discussion, probably forever. I mean, we could sit down tomorrow, next year, ten years from now, and and debate the way that that race ended and the way that uh, Max won his first championship. But point is that the rest of the season uh, between them was pretty exciting to watch, and it was pretty. It was a pretty amazing way that it was going to come down to the final race of the season because the previous time that it, that had happened was 2016, and that was between Lewis Hamilton, his teammate, Nico Rosberg. And 
even though that was a bit of an exciting finish to the season, it was an internal. It was Mercedes versus a Mercedes, and you know, you let's face it, there was a lot more Lewis Hamilton fans then and now than there ever were and ever will be Nico Rosberg fans. Sorry, Nico, no disrespect. But that's just uh, the, the the way it was. But I mean, when you have rivals in different teams driving different cars, it just, at least for me, has uh, what I'd say a different feel to it. It's a little bit more exciting. Um, anyhow, I've kind of lost my train of thought a little bit here. Anyhow, you know, you kind of go go back to the, the way that uh, Mercedes was so dominant for so many years, then all of a sudden, a sudden they weren't. Total Wolf was absolutely instrumental to that. You have Lewis Hamilton, who's also been a constant uh, in in that team for so long. Lewis is still there. Toto is still there. They're you know they're committed to uh, you know turning this thing around, and that's the weird thing too, right? Because we we've seen over the years that even though Mercedes was dominant for pretty much a decade, there were times here and there where they did falter, they did stumble, but they were able to pick themselves up after a particularly bad weekend and go back to the factory, go back to Brackley, do the work that they needed to do. They probably just had a lock in, you know, so you know bring in Chinese food or pizza or whatever it is for the next uh, week nobody's going home <laughs> everyone let's just work through this thing let's let's figure out what the problem was let's uh, get the new bits on the car and uh let's move forward however and then this is a, a, another thing to consider as well that was also prior to the to the cost cap now things are a little bit different and you can't necessarily spend your way out of a problem uh mid-season and maybe not even from season to season but uh, as I said, uh, total key piece, uh, you know, that's still there. It's going to be there for a couple more years. Lewis still a key piece is going to be there for a couple more years. Then the other good uh, news for Mercedes fans uh, this uh, this week that their uh, technical director James Allison has also signed a new deal, which uh, will keep him at the team at least until the uh, the end of twenty twenty six. Um, Allison didn't have a lot to say, but, uh, the, 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 one quote I was able to find out there said, quote, F1 has brought me a lot of good fortune, but none greater than answering Toto's call to join Mercedes in 2017. It is a great privilege to continue this adventure, working alongside brilliant colleagues and fighting together for championship success. End quote. Well, I know that we see and hear from James, uh, occasionally, but he's not really paid. It is not really his job to be out, uh, in, in the media talking and giving lengthy or witty or insightful quotes, but uh, it's interesting to to hear from him uh, nonetheless. I mean, you can go on any platform at any given time, and you're almost guaranteed to find a quote from either Toto or from Lewis, uh, James Allison, at least in this case, uh, you know, a little bit understated, uh, although sounding very grateful uh, in the fact that uh, he's going to be staying uh, with Mercedes at least for another, another three years in that brief statement. Anyways, uh, Toto, a little bit more... A little bit more to say about the uh, extension of the New Deal for uh, for James Allison. He said, quote, I'm thrilled that James has committed his long-term future to the team, but simply is the most impressive technical leader on our sport. His gladiator spirit, along with his knowledge, experience, and determination, make him second to none. His influence and impact, however, go so, mu- so much further than that. Since joining in 2017, he has been a key ally and sparring partner for me personally. We challenge each other openly and honestly, an embodiment of the tough love culture of the team that is vital in helping us perform at our very best. Most importantly, though, James is a true friend you can rely on, not only in times of success, but in difficult moments, too. It has been a pleasure to work with him over the past seven years, and I look forward to doing so for many more to come. So there you go. Um, so sticking with the Mercedes, and uh, there's a, a lot of uh, obviously good news uh, with uh, you know, key personnel within the team. 
something that will be equally uh, as exciting for Mercedes fans will be the fact that the fact that uh, James Allison believes that they've ironed out what he called a spiteful rear end. So he was speaking uh, with motorsport.com earlier this week. And he said, quote, it is impossible at this time of year to be anything other than apprehensive, coupled with excited, coupled with frightened. Those are always the emotions that you feel. And I would imagine that even in Red Bull, after a year of such good performance, they will not be sleeping easy in their beds, either because no one knows what everyone else will deliver. However, what we do have is uh, some hope that is for some of the more spiteful characteristics of the rear end of our car will be a bit more friendly to us and the handling of the car a happier thing. That's all in simulation, but nevertheless, we've got reasonable grounds to believe that we've made some gain here on top of that handling you've got the normal housekeeping stuff just like making it lighter making it more down forcey down forcey is that even a word anyways uh and uh, hopefully getting a bit more uplift from the power unit side with the calibration level tinkering that they're still capable of doing under these current rules whether it's enough time will tell but it's nevertheless going to be interesting because we saw some things that we knew were problems We have hypothesized what uh, the reason for those problems were, and we fixed those reasons. It will be interesting to find out how accurate we've been with that uh, diagnosis. So I don't know if you could be uh, anything other than than encouraged if you're a Mercedes fan right now, because, you know, Lewis and George have been uh, pretty upfront and open and, uh, you know, other people within the team that uh, the the, the car from the last uh, couple of years, the W13, the W14, just hasn't been good enough and obviously it hasn't been uh, good enough i know that uh, that that this past year they they finished second in the uh, the, the constructors uh, championship with 409 points only three more points than ferrari that of 406 but combined together mercedes and ferrari still did not come close well they came closer to red bull but uh, red bull between uh well mostly max verstappen and sergio perez uh, had 860 points and second for mercedes obviously uh not uh not good enough uh, by their own extremely high standards and that's uh just uh got 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 to sting for them so and again i i think that uh, it's it's interesting reading that quote from james allison and then uh, compare that uh to uh yao komatsu over at Haas similar kind of things right you know the 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 tone is similar obviously a Haas is a much different car than a a Mercedes there's what about 400 point odd points uh, between them uh, scored in the championship uh, last year but anyways the the tone is very similar that uh, that both Komatsu and Allison feel that uh, that their team and their cars have made a step forward but you know how does it really compare against uh, everyone else? And we won't even really know until we get to to the first uh, race of the year at uh, at Bahrain. Sure, we're going to have uh, some. Uh, we're going to see shakedowns, and we're going to go to to Bahrain. We're going to have uh, you know several days testing, but teams are going to be trying different things at different times. And uh, even when we get to the first couple of practice sessions, it's going to be more or less uh, the 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 same. And we will have the same situation that we always do, probably. <laughs> That uh, I've mentioned over the past, uh, well, eight previous seasons of this, uh, this this podcast is that once we start the season, forget kind of what happened last year and the year before that, and even kind of take the first the, the results from the first race of the year with a pinch of salt, that whatever that result is, you know, maybe it's amazing. Maybe Ferrari comes out and wins the first race. Maybe Charles Leclerc wins by 20 seconds. Maybe McLaren does something amazing or Red Bull or, well, if Red Bull does, everybody, okay, here we go again. Max is just going to stroke it this year. 
and uh, he's going to win every single race and this thing will be over by the time we get to, to Miami at the beginning of May, et cetera. Or maybe it's a Mercedes. The thing is that uh, it'll take a couple of races before things really settle down. We'll get a good sample size of uh, of, uh, of data to work with. We'll have seen who's done what, who hasn't done things, who maybe overperformed, who underperformed, who's middle of the pack. So, I mean, by the time we get through the first uh, couple of races, you know, where, like I said, we're going to Bahrain, that's Saudi Arabia, Australia, maybe by the time we get to, 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 to Japan at the beginning of April and a couple of months from now, maybe things will have settled down by the time we get to Suzuka at that point to really get, uh, get a bit of an understanding, maybe get a sort of a benchmark kind of baseline calibration of how the teams uh, shake up. Is Red Bull uh, still ahead? And if the answer is yes, then by how much has Mercedes or Ferrari closed the gap? How is Mercedes and Ferrari in relation to each other to last year? All these sorts of uh, questions, uh, you know, before you even start to compare George Russell with Lewis Hamilton and Lewis to Checo and Charles to, to, to Carlos, et cetera. Fun time of year, but, uh, uh, anyways, Mercedes certainly has a, a lot of work uh, to do or has had a lot of work to do, but even though things are different now than compared to the pre cost cap era, this is a team that's I just feel that there's too much experience, there's too much passion, there's too much knowledge, there's too much money in that team and too much state-of-the-art equipment that they can't get it wrong forever. Obviously, the last couple of years hasn't been great, but they they went with that side-podless concept, which they started last year with and then quit pretty quickly stepped away from the, after several races into the year and then went with their plan B and... Once they went to plan B, that's, <clears throat> pardon me, their their fortunes started to, to turn around. Obviously, it still wasn't good enough to catch and beat Red Bull in the wrong, long run, but certainly after the, uh, the, the change in concept, things got uh, a lot, lot uh, better for them. I mean, if you look at Lewis, who finished uh, third in the championship after it was all said and done at 234 points, then you look at uh, George Russell, not a great year for George, eighth in the championship with 175. Lewis, at any rate, uh, he has a couple of P5s to start the ra- uh, the season, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. It's on the podium with a P2 in Australia, then a six and a six in Azerbaijan and Miami. Fourth in Monaco, then we've got a second and a third in Canada, then an eighth in Austra- Austria, pardon me, then Great Britain third. So you can kind of see where things started to to, to get a little bit uh, better uh, for, 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 for Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton. George kind of sort of was the same kind of results all season long, you know higher points pain positions to start the season, then kind of like middle point pain positions, you know, a couple of DNFs and a couple of uh, you know races to forget in uh, in Holland and Singapore, uh, you know, kind of going through there. And uh, you know, anyways, it is what it is. You know, the moral, or the, maybe not the moral of the story, but maybe cutting the cutting this uh, you know, or bringing this discussion to a close now is that in the long run, I just can't bet against uh, Mercedes. I just know that this uh, team has uh, got too many good things going for them, too many good people, the facilities, uh, the, the the record, the experience, all that good stuff that uh, at some point they're going to get it figured out and they're going to be able to deliver uh, a car that's capable of winning races. And once you win enough races, then you're going to be in that discussion to win championships. And they've got 
an entire barn load of trophies, if not more, <laughs> that they've won uh, ever since uh, they, they came back into to Formula One. I guess was it about 15 years ago now, and certainly over the past decade, the best uh, Formula One team, uh, although I'm sure Red Bull will want to keep uh, perpetuating and keep going with everything that uh, they've been doing over the past uh, couple of years. All right, moving on to the next story now, and uh, yeah, it has to be Red Bull, right? <laughs> it seems that uh, Red Bull always uh, has a little bit of real estate in this podcast, although uh, that so far uh, talked uh, quite a bit uh, about Mercedes, but Red Bull always seems to work their way into into the podcast. And hey, if you're one of the top teams in Formula One or you've been the top team over the past uh, couple of seasons, chances are there's going to be uh, something uh, in the show here to talk about. Uh, this week is uh, you know the, the partnership between Ford and uh, and Red Bull has um, had some pretty good comments from uh, Ford Performance CEO Jim Farley, who was uh, talking uh, at an event at Charlotte, uh, North Carolina. Uh, and uh, Farley had the, the, the following to say, quote, I had the chance to spend a lot of time with the team of Milton Keynes and with Adrian Newey, and I think we're on track. 2026, even though it sounds like it's a long way away, we have a lot of work to do on the powertrain, but I'm really happy with the progress. I wish I could tell you more, but I w- would say that we're on track. Uh, then he goes on to say, quote, uh, we're going back to F1 in a way that we haven't in the past. It turns out the best aerodynamics in the world are in Formula One, the best tel- telemetry, the best digital diagnostics. Actually, we need all those things for electric cars. So actually, it's going back to the 70s with pure tech transfer. This is not like owning a team. We're going there to literally transfer technology. We can offer battery tech for them because in 26, they're going to go like 50% electric. They need high discharge batteries. And we do that at NHRA, for example. And on the other hand, we get the telemetry, digital diagnosis, as well as aero, which we can put into our production electric cars and make the battery smaller. Uh, they are the best in the world in a lot of these technologies. And we really needed them for the... Uh, desperately as the car business changes it is literally like going back to where we were with all those years ago tech transfer end quote you know i I was thinking about it too because uh, there's a cool couple of pictures i've uh, been looking here online just uh, there's something cool just uh you know it's got a good ring to it uh you know ford cosworth and i i found a couple of uh, cool pictures here of uh, a ford cosworth in the back of a, a lotus formula one car from back in the 70s I know it just looks good. You know, it sounds good. You know, the name Ford Cosworth uh, rolls off the tongue nicely. And that was the engine to have the Ford Cosworth for a very, very long time. And I'm very excited to see them back uh, in, uh, in in Formula One. And it's pretty cool if uh, you look some of the pictures that, uh, that that are out there. If you look at the uh, the, the Red Bull powertrains building the, right beside the Red Bull logo, is the Ford logo uh, beside there. So it's, it's very interesting, right? The way that uh, we've seen this. Uh, uh, th- this real surge of interest and, 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 you know, will to participate in Formula One over the past uh, several years and some big, big names uh, coming in there, including Ford, is uh, very exciting uh, to, to see. And I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm excited to, to see what they can do with uh, Red Bull. Maybe the other teams aren't. Uh, they're, they're, they're challengers. But I think that, uh, generally speaking, Formula One is, is better for it. You know, I, I love uh, the the fact that we have Mercedes uh, producing power units, Renault or Alpine uh, producing power units, and we've got Ferrari uh, producing power units and Honda producing power units. It would be nice to see you know a couple more in there. So it's it's cool to see that um, that that Ford is in there too. And again, it's it's cool to kind of see 
as as Farley was talking about this tech transfer, and that's the one of the things that uh, that Formula One has always said, you know, about this, uh, you know, the, this trickle down road relevancy, this trickle down technology that we can see uh, on the road, and of course, any sort of like uh, technology that are in our cars, you know, and I mean, some of the, the the technology that we have in our cars now would be. If you put that on a car, twenty or a Formula One car, twenty five, thirty, forty years ago, it'd be like space age uh, technology. We take things like ABS and semi automatic shifts and all these sorts of things. Traction control are all uh, you know commonplace in cars nowadays, and they have been for a very, very long time. So it's kind of cool to see that uh, that road relevancy. But it, it's interesting too to hear Farley's comments to see like what other things are Ford looking at. Like what do they think that uh, that is beneficial for them in that relationship? Like what is, uh, you know, what, what does he feel is uh, beneficial and valuable to Ford as a company and to their production fleet of cars that will come back and trickle down from that re- relationship to, to Red Bull? Obviously, Red Bull will hope that the, uh, you know, the, 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 the benefits of their partnership, the relationship for, uh, with Ford will mean that they're going to build the best, most powerful, reliable uh, power unit in Formula One that's going to go in the back of their car and probably Alpha Tauri. Or maybe customer cars, customer teams. Who knows? There's a lot of things uh, at play there. Anyway, some uh, very interesting insight uh, from uh, CEO uh, Jim Farley, and uh, certainly the uh, Red Bull Ford uh, partnership is an evolving, ongoing story to watch. And it'll be a little bit of time before we actually see one of those on uh, or in the back of a Formula One car out on the uh, the track doing the business. Anyways, uh, time for another quick break. Be back in just a moment. And got a bunch of stories involving McLaren lined up. So we'll talk about those in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back. So moving away from Red Bull, sort of, kind of, but not really, because they're still going to be involved in the next uh, couple of uh, stories going to talk about here. Uh, The first one is uh, Zach Brown, CEO of uh, McLaren. uh, It says that uh, they are wary, McLaren that is, of a... an unpleasant surprise from Red, Red Bull in uh, in 2024. Um, obviously, Red Bull, they've been talking and trying to like downplay things for, for, for 2024. They uh, don't really, or at least publicly, they've been saying that they don't uh, think that they're going to be the... Uh, the clear leaders going in 2024. They don't think that uh, necessarily that uh, they will be champions again in the the, the drivers or constructors uh, championships. Um, anyways, uh, in the second half of last season, and especially as the season went on, and despite a couple of uh, notable off weekends, Red Bull's most consistent rival or challenger opponent, whatever you want to label them, was uh, McLaren. And uh, when they were talking earlier this week, uh, McLaren had a, a livery launch for their 2024 uh, car, even though the car will not be launched uh, for another uh, couple of weeks. Uh, Zach Brown said that uh, he really hopes or is hoping that they will uh, chase uh, down Red Bull and be a, uh, a rival to them. But uh, he's being a little bit realistic and doesn't want to be uh, too uh, overconfident uh, about it. Uh, anyways, uh, Brown had to say, quote, clearly want, we want to continue to close the gap. We finished up last year as the second or third quickest team, depending on what circuit we, uh, you were at. Car development has been strong, but Red Bull certainly seems like they didn't develop last year to the de- level they could if they wanted to. 
So that could be an unpleasant surprise for all of us, end quote. And I think that's a, that, that's a fair comment. Uh, I, I think there was a lot of speculation. There were a lot of uh, you know questions. Mark and I talked about it quite a bit. I know I talked about it uh, quite a bit uh, with uh, Tim Haraney on uh, his uh, podcast, Nailing the Apex, is how much did uh, Red Bull still have in that car uh, in terms of development, but also did we ever them really see them unleash what they had uh, uh, on the track, right? We didn't see too many instances of uh, of somebody really pushing Max wheel to wheel. Sergio, obviously, he had more downs than ups in 2023. That's uh, just uh, not up for... Um, <laughs> not up for discussion uh, anymore. Uh, but but the point is, there were a lot of unanswered uh, questions about uh, what Red Bull did in 2023, and uh, and and Zach Brown is addressing uh, just that. And again, funny, it's the way that uh, you compare Zach's comments to James uh, Allison's uh, comments at Mercedes and uh, Yao Komatsu's uh, comments at at, uh, at Haas. Sure, you know the car they feel is better, but how does their car compare to everyone else? Uh, you know, Zach is obviously being pretty upfront and discussing, you know, well, we're, we're aiming for Red Bull. And of course, uh, you know, why wouldn't you be? And, it, and it's really interesting too, because if you go and look at the, the season that, uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, McLaren had not great. So you look at the first, uh, couple of races of the, the, the season, uh, Lando was 17th and 15th in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. Piastri retired at a 17th and then, you know, not a lot of great results in there. You know, you know, a couple, several points pain uh, finishes up until you get to, to Austria. Then Lando gets the upgrades on the car. He's P4 in Austria. And then uh, Piastri, who didn't have the, the, the upgrades in the car, he's P16 in the same race. And then after that, it was no looking back. Lando P2 at uh, in, in Great Britain. And then Hungary, uh, Piastri fourth and fifth. Then Lando, he has four more P2s to finish, you know, pardon me, five more P2s to finish the year. And uh, Piastri has a couple of P3s, a lot more success, you know, a, lot, a lot of good stuff uh, going on there. And it is true that uh, despite the fact they finished fourth in the Constructors uh, Championship, over 100 points adrift of uh, Ferrari, sure, you know, like uh, they're, they're quite a ways uh, behind. But if you look through those first seven or eight, nine races of the season, whatever it was before we got to, to, to Austria, yeah, there was. Uh, I'm just looking at the notes here. Eight races, so we get to, to round nine when they get those they they, they get those uh, upgrades on the car for Lando, and then looking after looking there, they just didn't look back, and all the points, basically not quite, uh, came in the uh, the the latter. Well, it's not the latter half of the season, but it's it's getting pretty close by the time we get to 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 Austria. There was only two more races uh, before we got to the summer break, and. You got to ask that question, right? Okay, they finished fourth in the championship, but if they didn't start the way that they did, how much further up would they have finished? How much? How many more points would they have taken away from Ferrari and Mercedes? And I think if you're Ferrari and Mercedes, sure, you're looking up the road at Red Bull. You got to be looking in your rearview mirrors because uh, McLaren's there too, and they're not necessarily in your rearview mirror. I mean, uh, certainly if you look at the way that uh, they finished the year uh, compared to the way that uh, Mercedes and Ferrari finished the year, the much brighter story, uh, you know, very, very good stuff uh, from, 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 from McLaren. But again, interesting that, uh, that uh, McLaren and Zach Brown measuring themselves against uh, Red Bull as they rightly should do. And also just wondering, asking the question out loud, you know, how, you know we've improved, but how have we improved compared to uh, Red Bull? 
Okay, so moving on to uh, the, the the next story, talking about uh, Lando Norris, talking about McLaren, and uh, Zach Brown, uh, you know, is uh, says he's confident that uh, he can keep uh, Lando with the team despite uh, repeated and long term interest uh, from from Red Bull. Right, so um, there have been, you know, overtures, moves, contacts between Red Bull uh, and uh, Lando. Uh, Lando has been with uh, McLaren since he uh, broke into Formula One back in 2019. He's under contract uh, until the end of the, the 2025 seasons. We've got this year, next year. But there's a lot of th- questions going on, right? Um, Max, obviously the undisputed number one driver at uh, Red Bull. That number two seat there at uh, at Red Bull with uh, that is currently Sergio Perez's seat. A lot of questions there, right? We talked about it so many times in the podcast last year with all the, and there, there's numerous examples. I'm not going to start listing them all off of all the, all the times that Sergio Perez stumbled in 2023 because sadly we'd be here for quite a while. Anyways, suffice it to say there were enough problems and enough issues and a lot of, uh, you know, bad moments in Sergio's uh, season to really, you know, put that question right out in the, in, in the, at the front of everybody's attention is he the right driver to be Max's teammates moving forward? I mean, they, they still obviously won the constructors championship. And the question is, you know, like how good is good enough? I mean, Daniel Ricardo comes in mid season at Alpha Tower. He replaces Nick DeFries that just did not have a good start to, uh, you know, his formula one uh, career, you know, last eight or nine races or whatever it was before he was replaced uh, by Ricardo. He breaks his hand in Holland's and then, you know, misses a couple of races. Get this other bright story in Liam Lawson. Luke, uh, Yuki Sonoda, the other AlphaTauri driver, starts to improve as well. So they get thrown into that mix for discussion about uh, taking Sergio Perez's uh, seat at, uh, at Red Bull, right? But the question is, what do they really have to gain by bringing somebody like Lando Norris into that team? You know, I I think that the perfect example is 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 Mercedes, right? You go back ten years when it was Lewis Hamilton and Nico Rosberg, despite being friends previously, maybe not so much. Uh, certainly, were uh, towards the end of the time at uh, Mercedes, and maybe that <laughs> that relationship has never really uh, been repaired because that that got very very toxic uh, between them. There was numerous incidents uh, between them. There were numerous statements made by the team that they'd be willing to part with one or both of those drivers if it needed to, to happen. Anyways, uh, Nico eventually wins the, uh, the the championship. Lewis wins in 14-15. Nico wins in, in 2016. And then very shortly thereafter, or at the end of the season, decides to pull a plug on his uh, Formula One career and retire and basically said that uh, he wasn't willing to to do it again and go through all the sacrifice, all the work, and all the, the the pressure and the stress of having to try and beat Lewis Hamilton, you know, especially in the mental game. You know, Lewis just not only being an amazing driver and a formidable uh, driver to compete against, but also just the the the, the mental game. You know, Lewis incredibly strong when it comes uh, to, to to mental fortitude and things like that. Nico wasn't willing to do it, so they bring in uh, uh, Valtteri Bottas from Williams, Valtteri. Very good Formula One driver, very consistent, very reliable, helps them win several more constructors championships. While Lewis, you know, in quick uh, succession, racks up another number of drivers championships to get him to a total of seven so far in his career. And there was no issues, right? (laughs) There was never any conflict openly between 
Lewis and Valtteri, and then there was that one, at least your Valtteri Bottas, that unfortunate comment that was made by Total Wolf, which I, I think was a bit of a, a Freudian slip uh, one year after the Russian Grand Prix in Sochi, when uh, Toto said something that, uh, you know, to the effect, I'm just going to parse and paraphrase here, that, uh, that that Valtteri was basically the ideal wingman, which obviously must have uh, must have stung. But the point was, he was the perfect teammate to have uh, for, for Lewis, helped to bring home a ton of points every year. There was no drama. He just went out what he did, uh, did what he needed to do. He was fast. Like I say, he was reliable, competitive, all those good things and um won some races here and there and, and let's let's be fair there were some discussions here and there that he was uh, you know competing for the championship against Lewis Hamilton but come on that that was just polite conversation and just uh, done to drum up uh, a little bit of interest because Lewis was always going to have the edge in that uh, that that driver pairing my point is when it comes to to Red Bull and uh, and Max Verstappen and that second potentially vacant seat if uh, Sergio Perez does not stand the test of time and you know does not or has not found a way to improve and uh, live up to what's expected from him. I mean, he's obviously fast enough, but uh, it certainly hasn't been consistent enough or reliable enough from, from a driver point of view. I mean, the car itself has been reliable for a very long time. I mean, Red Bull build build, build good, uh, reliable cars. Honda develop and builds amazing, powerful, and reliable power units. And Sergio just hasn't been consistent. And the question is, why would you want to bring somebody like Lando Norris in Lando? If you look at, uh, and I read off the, those stats at the the end of uh, you know the season last year. I mean, uh, by by the time it's all said and done, Lando finishes sixth in the drivers' championship with two hundred five points. He's five points ahead of Carlos Sainz. He's uh, thirty points ahead of George Russell at uh, Mercedes. And this is uh, from you know a guy that started the season with four P-17s and a P-13 uh, by the time we get to the the, the Austrian Grand Prix. And you know, the only other points paying, or the only points paying uh, positions he had before that was a P-6 in Australia and a pair of P-9s in Monaco and Azerbaijan. I mean, what what Lando did for the remainder of the season was absolutely incredible. I mean, a fantastic uh, second half uh, to to the year. The question is, would he be happy behind or paired up with uh, with Max Verstappen? And I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know if he if he would be because I mean, if you look at his record, you look at all those P twos that he has. I mean, this is a, a driver that I, I feel that uh, you know, given the right set, uh, circumstances could uh, and should be winning uh, races. Um, going back to Zach Brown, um, you know, the comments that he made, Christian Horner, the uh, team principal of Red Bull, has confirmed that they have spoken to Lando Norris over the, the, the past uh, couple of years. Uh, anyways, uh, Zach Brown, who was uh, speaking to motorsport.com, said, quote, I have a belief that whether it is uh, employees, drivers, or sponsors, that is our job to take care of them and for them to want to be at McLaren. So I tend to focus on making sure that McLaren is the best place environment and people want to be with us because ultimately you can't control external approaches to those various uh, people. So no, I'm very confident in the relationship we have with Lando remains strong. I know he's very excited for this year, was very impressed with what we saw in the second half of last year. He loves working with Andrea Stella and everyone in the team. So all we need to do is keep giving him the environment he wants to be in. And then I'm confident he'll stick around as opposed to, to trying to kind of sell against the competition. That's never been my way, end quote. So 
I, I agree with a, a lot of uh, what uh, what Zach Brown has said. Uh, the other, I think, the the bit of the X factor in that uh, relationship there is, you know, what happens with uh, with Oscar Piastri. Piastri, obviously, still a young driver, rookie driver, ends up P ninth in the uh, in the championship uh, last year, ninety seven points, very very respectable. He had some fantastic results last year. Ends up uh, in the podium, did some uh, great stuff in the sprint races as well. Oscar Piastri, Piastri, pardon me, success story in Formula One after one year, even though his uh, first uh, <laughs> third of the of the season, nothing really exciting uh, to, to look at either. I mean, retires in his first race. All uh, he has a P eight and a P ten in uh, in Australia and Monaco. The rest uh, until you get to to Great Britain and then Hungary when he was P four and P five. They're all well outside the points couple of p11s nothing special but once he got the car once he got the you know the the upgrades on there even despite uh, the fact that he had a, a couple of uh, dnfs uh, towards you know the latter half of the season really good stuff i mean uh you know but the the question is what if he continues to to improve what if he ends up uh, being better than lando norris lando obviously is a uh, built up a you know well deserved uh, reputation in in formula 1 i mean uh, his record last year alone i mean he he's had a solid career as you know so far even though he's uh, been just with the one team and the mclaren hasn't always uh, been the best car He's uh, done an exceptionally good uh, job. So whether he would want to give that up and uh, at McLaren, that is, and move over to Red Bull, great story to 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 ponder to talk about. I just don't really know what he would have to gain because Max, three time world champion right now, obviously the best driver in Formula One, obviously with the best car. So that's a a pretty uh, lethal combo for all his uh, his competitors or all his rivals. And I just, I, I just, that's the one thing I keep asking myself every time I see these stories or I think about myself is what would Lando have to gain if he was to go to Red Bull, despite all the, all the speculation and comments uh, from, from Christian Horner, et cetera, that they've uh, made, uh, you know, made contact with him and things like that. No, no, we'll see. I, I, I I'm skeptical that, uh, that he would move. Anyhow, moving on to another one that this is, you know, you know, if Mark were here, you know, tonight he would uh, be, <laughs> I know he would feel vindicated and justified uh, talking about uh, this story because this is something that, uh, you know, he's been very passionate about. And I, I agree with, uh, with, with what Hammy's had to say. So McLaren has uh, urged Formula One to look into what uh, they call serious uh, concerns over the uh, relationship uh, between uh, Red Bull and uh, Alpha Tauri, and uh, he's uh, you know been quite adamant has urged the FIA and Formula One to make it uh, a priority to you know look into that like their concerns about the the, the fairness of the uh, relationship uh, between Red Bull and uh, the ties, the relationship that they have with their their junior team, their B team, their sister team whatever you want to call it uh alpha tauri anyways um uh zach brown had to say quote the thing i would like to see us as a sport focus is where we sit on the regulation side with the a slash b team co-ownership uh i believe it is a serious issue for the fairness of the sports for the fans that's why it's pretty much not allowed in any other form of major sport. I'd like to see us as an industry focus on that before it gets to a level of being where Formula One once was, which is a very out of balance because uh, people are playing by the rules, but a different set of rules. Uh, Alpha Terry is, from what I understand, moving to the UK, which I think will benefit both teams. So this AB team and co-ownership 
This whole other level AB team is a big concern of ours for the health of the sport and to the fairness of the sport. When these uh, team cooperation rules were put in place, the sport was in a different place. We had a huge gap between people like ourselves who had huge budgets and had smaller teams. Now everybody's pretty much at the cap, if not at the cap. So I think everyone is playing with the same size of bat, to use a baseball term, and therefore that's not necessary. But uh, I think it might give someone an unfair advantage, and I think that's something we need to tackle with uh, the sports quickly, end quote. Absolutely. I think that's a great conversation. Um, you know, we all know why Alpha Tauri is there. They're a team to be that in that uh, funnel, that uh, that pipeline of drivers in the Red Bull Driver Academy system. And it would be very interesting, right? <laughs> If uh, the the team that uh, even though Alpha Tauri is Red Bull's fashion brands, which I've never actually seen in real life, but maybe that's because I'm just not trendy and just don't know where to get nice clothes. <laughs> but that's a different story. Um, at Red Bull, I mean, the money is all basically sort of kind of coming from the same origin point. And even though they have different facilities in different uh, locations, Alpha Tauri based in Italy, um, Red Bull uh, based in the UK. They do design and build different cars. They do have the, the the common Honda power units or Red Bull powertrains or the whatever the agreement they have with Honda nowadays. It's always a confusing story, which is, you know, we'll get into here right now. But at the end of the day, I, I often wonder in this era, especially if, um, you know, Alpha Tauri were really to develop a car and uh, and do better than Red Bull. Obviously, Red Bull couldn't say anything about that because they're supposed to be their own different separate team. And I'm sure publicly they would uh, say all the right things. Well, you know, good for them. They've done, uh, you know, their, their car, they're a completely separate team, et cetera. But I'm sure that at least internally, it uh, would be a source of frustration and consternation for uh, for for Christian Horner and uh, and company over there at Red Bull. But I mean, just optically, it looks it looks funny. I mean, especially if you go back a, a couple of years when when Red, or a couple of years ago when uh, Red Bull was you know clearly fed up with their relationship with Red Bull, and uh, you know they had the opportunity to put uh, the, uh, the the Honda engines in the back of the Alpha Tauri. They had the Renault engines in their car. They were basically able to use the the alpha tauri as as a test bed and you know look at the telemetry and the numbers and the, obviously they eventually decided to go with honda to replace Re, you know renault and for them that was a fantastic opportunity and that's um, a relationship that is uh, paid off and i don't know it just looks it looks strange it just feels a bit strange and it's certainly that relationship and this uh this whole ab team thing it feels like a relic of a previous era. And I think relic is, uh, for, for me at least, the the word to describe it. It's just a strange, it seems a little bit uh, inappropriate, if not downright wrong in this day and age. But who knows? Who's to say? I'm not the person that uh, that makes those, uh, you know, makes those judgment calls or sets the rules around it. But I mean, optically, like I say, it seems uh, very, very strange. So I completely understand why Zach Brown uh, and, you know, Zach's probably the only one uh, out there saying it. So there are 10 teams in Formula One. Red Bull and Alpha Tauri are two, so that leaves eight others. Uh, and then apart from uh, Red Bull, or sorry, pardon, uh, McLaren uh, and Zach Brown, there's seven, seven other teams out there. And I'd be uh, curious to, to hear what uh, other team principals uh, say. So who knows? Maybe we'll hear uh, more more statements made by other uh, teams out there. Or if uh, Zach, Brown is, uh, Zach Brown is going to be uh, alone out there on the island 
by himself. Okay, uh, moving along, a couple more stories just uh, before I shut it down uh, for tonight. Uh, Total Wolf uh, has said that the FI needs uh, what he calls stability amid uh, concerning departures and key personnel over the uh, the, the past uh, several months, and uh, and rightly. Toto says that uh, he believes that uh, Formula One or motorsports governing body needs stability, and uh, and rightly so. Uh, so Toto was speaking to the uh, the Daily uh, Telegraph, saying, "quote uh, that it is a uh, uh, pardon me, it is concerning to see so many good people leaving. Losing Steve Nielsen is a big blow. I could think I couldn't think of a more knowledgeable and fair sporting director." As a leader, it's about the culture and environment you create for uh, people to thrive. When people as competent as these leave an organization, there's a vacuum that's clear. You've got to ask yourself, why is it suddenly that so many people have decided to call it a day? What the FIA needs is stability. The FIA is one of three key stakeholders of the sport, along with FOM and the teams. And as any of uh, leadership of these organizations, we need to set the tone for everybody else. We need not only to say that we're acting transparently and ethically, but actually live to that standard every single day, end quote. Uh, There you go. I mean, uh, there have been a number of uh, key uh, departures. And then there was this very, very weird controversy at the end of last year where the, uh, the FI said that uh, there was going to be a probe in, uh, you, know, reg- you know, into a conflict of interest uh, probe involving uh, Toto and his wife, uh, Susie Wolf. <laughs> and very suddenly and very quietly, the, uh, the, this action was, uh, disappeared and, uh, what was stopped and, uh, and all of, the, uh, the the ten teams in Formula One stood behind Toto and Susie Wolf. Very very uh, different, uh, you know, very strange uh, story. Uh, <laughs> yes. Some of the uh, just reading the quote here. Uh, uh, Toto said that uh, the FIA's probe was uh, very very damaging. <laughs> so there we go. You know, uh, Leo less uh, said about that. Uh, the, the 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 better, but absolutely, uh, he, he's hundred percent right that you know when, when you have a governing body like the FIA. You do need uh, you know stability. You do need very good, talented, clever people in those roles. And if those people start l- leaving, and especially if they all and and naturally you're going to have turnover over time. That people will move on for various reasons. They they want a new challenge. They want to move somewhere else. Maybe they don't like it there anymore. This is just normal sort of things. But when you have higher than normal turnover, especially among key personnel, that's going to raise everybody's. Uh, you know, eyebrows at, uh, you know, at, at some point, especially, you know, like, uh, you know, with uh, the, the FIA president, Mohammed Ben Salem, who even last week uh, felt like there was a bit of a campaign against him. And I uh, felt that uh, there was, uh, you know, he, he, he kind of came out and said, but didn't go the, the full way that uh, he knew who was behind this campaign against him, basically to blacken his name and, and, uh, and, and make him look bad in the public image. Anyhow, it just kind of uh, makes you, makes you wonder what's going on behind uh, the the scenes. Uh finally just want to talk very quickly about uh, Colton Herta and the, uh, the the American driver who uh said that uh, he really feels like uh time is against him if he's going to get a drive in Formula 1 unless uh you know Michael Andretti and Andretti Motorsport uh, actually uh get into Formula 1 in the in the short term. Uh Herta said that uh that that uh, he feels that uh, the you know the term he used was a uh, clock is ticking. Anyways, Colt said, quote, I think it's very time sensitive. I'm probably the highest age I could probably go over there with a team maybe besides Andretti. Yeah, so I don't have everything have anything to report on their side of things. I think their goal is still to get a Formula One team and they're still trying to if that happens we'll have to see what timeline that is and how old I'll be and where I'm at at that point. 
Uh, for me, the, really the, the main focus right now is IndyCar and we'll see where it goes, end quote. So there you go. I mean, Colton uh, seems to be that uh, one name when it comes to an American driver that's been uh, thrown out there for for quite a while. And uh, he's very correct that uh, the time is ticking. And um, certainly if uh, Andretti gets into Formula One, that would seem like a bit of a natural pairing between the the, the two parties. But Colton pretty forthcoming in saying that if it happens for Andretti, maybe it's not necessarily going to be the best fit or the right thing for me to do, especially depending on the timing of it and how old I might be at that time and where I am personally in my life at that that stage. So we'll just have to, to wait and see. Anyways, time to wrap it up there. Thank you all very much uh, for downloading and listening to the show this week. If you want to get in touch, send us an email, scooteryappunpod at gmail.com. Send us a tweet, scooteryappunpod. And that's it. Have a great weekend. Take care. Talk to you again soon. Bye for now. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.